0: You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Well, Turn in your Bible, if you would, to 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22. We are moving this morning, beginning new sermon series. It's back to school time. Our new sermon series for over the next seven weeks is entitled, Back to the Book. Back to the Book. Back to... The book. This book. We need to go back to the book. Do we need this series? As we think about this at the beginning, do we need this series? Now, we know that the broader culture outside the church has largely written off the book. It used to be the case. It used to be the case, perhaps in memory for some of you, uh, that. Even though our culture wasn't explicitly Christian, it, its values were largely formed by the Bible. Ideas about right and wrong. Of course, not everyone outside the church followed the Bible. Not everyone inside the church followed the book. But, but the ideas about what was right and wrong were largely shared, largely formed from the Bible. And even the ones that, that moved away from it were explicitly a reaction to what the Bible teaches. That used to be the case, but not anymore anymore. Not anymore, of course. We lament the loss. We lament the impact that that's had on our culture. But the culture's rejection of the Bible isn't my primary concern in this series. Of course, it's not just the broader culture. The, the broader church world, in many cases, many churches and ministries and denominations claim to follow the Bible, but for all practical purposes, they've, they've really turned away from it. They explain away the difficult parts. They they ignore or reject the parts that often the broader culture has a hard time with it. They, They pick and choose what parts of the Bible to hold to. They have the Bible. They claim the Bible when it suits them, but for all practical purposes, they've abandoned it. But liberal Christianity's rejection of much of the Bible isn't my main concern in this series either. My concern is for churches that... Have the Bible. Use the Bible. Insist that the Bible is true and authoritative and good. Use it for everything that they say and do. Churches like like our church, like Springview Community Church, we preach from the Bible every Sunday. Our kids are in classes, preschoolers up here, elementary kids down here. They're learning from the Bible as we speak. Wednesday night, Awana's here. Teaching from the Bible. Kids memorizing verses from the Bible. Youth group is being taught from the Bible. We have together groups that are going to talk about the Bible. We claim the Bible. We use the Bible. We believe the Bible. Do we really need to go back to the book? Do we need to go back to the book? And the answer to that question, I think, is a resounding yes. We need to go back to the book relentlessly relentlessly over and over because the book is God's book. It's his word. God has an enemy. We have the same enemy. He is and always is trying to trip us up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. He's trying to destroy us. Do you know what his signature move is? Turning us away from the book. That is and always has been his main move. Turning his, God's people away from the book. So, why do we need to go back to the book? Why do we need to do that? Let me just give you a few reasons quickly here. First of all, because our enemy is pressing us, and our own sinful hearts have a tendency, first of all, to question the book. To question it. You see this all the time. And again, it goes back to the beginning. At the very beginning, God gives Adam and Eve. He creates them, puts them in a wonderful place, gives them really only one rule, one thing they can't do. And what is the enemy comes in and immediately says, Did God really say? Can we be sure that that's what God said? That's not what God meant. That's not true. Always pressing us to question the book. And we see that today, even in some quarters of the church. Something comes along and it's difficult and hard and the surrounding culture doesn't like it and people say, well, people disagree about what the book says. We don't really. And they begin to question the book. Not only do we question the book, sometimes we assume the book. We assume the book. Well, our doctrinal statement says we believe in the book. We use it in our church. Many of us have multiple copies of the book, and we think we're good with the book. It's everywhere, all over in our lives. We assume that it's there, and in the middle of that assumption, we lose and fail to give it attention. We question the book. We assume the book. domesticate the book. We domesticate. When you domesticate an animal, what are you doing? You're taking an animal that's used to running around wild outside. It's used to eating wherever it can find food. It's used to going to the bathroom wherever it pleases. And you bring it inside. And you say, hey, new plan. You're, you're going to conform to our plan now. You eat here. You go to the bathroom here and only here. You stay here in this place, in this house or in this yard. We make, it, we make that animal conform to our expectations and our plans when we domesticate it. And sometimes we do the same thing with the book. We take the book that's supposed to be conformed to, the book we're supposed to adjust ourselves to, and we begin to adjust it to, to meet our needs. I like this part. I don't like that part. I'm going, to make, I'm going to make it say this because it suits me. I'm going to ignore that because it doesn't. And we begin to domesticate it. We take off the hard edges of things we don't like, and we make it conform to us rather than conforming ourselves to it. Finally, and this is perhaps the most common, we neglect the book. We neglect the book. We get distracted by other things. I know it should have my attention. I know it should drive my thinking and my behavior. But we neglect it. We think sometimes, well, the path forward for me spiritually is probably something else. It's probably some other thing, nothing so simple as getting back to the book. And the result is that by whatever path, the book gets lost. The book gets lost. We wouldn't be the first people to see this happen, not by a long shot. In fact, this morning in Second Kings 22, I want to look at another group of people who lost the book. Another group of people who desperately needed to turn back to the book. And then I want to see from their leader, let him show us the way to turn back to the book ourselves. So look at Second Kings chapter 22, verse 1. This is God's word. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in all the way of David, his father. He didn't turn aside to the right or to the left. And in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, "'Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord.' which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. Let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting should be asked of them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king, and he reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the house that was money that was found in the house, and have delivered it to the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it, before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that's been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that's kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam and Achbor, and Shaphan, and Asaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhes, keeper of the wardrobe. Now, she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and, and they talked with her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they've forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place. I will not, it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you will say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Regarding the words you have heard, Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you've torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster I'll bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we Look at your word. I pray that in looking at your word this morning, your spirit would use us to draw us, to draw our hearts individually, together, back to the book. Relentlessly, over and over, that we would find there all that we need to be your people, for you to be our God. I pray that you would use, even this morning, the preaching of your word, your powerful, true word in our hearts, that you would change us. You would change our church, draw us back to you, and drawing us back to the book. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's my thesis this morning. Every big step forward spiritually starts with a step back to the book. Every big step forward spiritually starts with a step back to the book. And and did God's people in Josiah's day ever need to take a step forward spiritually? Things were bad. We read chapter 23, the chapter right after this, earlier in our service, and you see how bad it was by some of the things that Josiah corrected. He's, he's taking altars to pagan gods, sun, moon, and star gods, off the roofs and out of the courtyards of the temple to Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Israel. There's temples to false gods there. There's Asherah poles for worshiping Baal in the temple of God, and he's taking them out. There's, there's huts and chambers for cult prostitutes in the house of God. There's statues right outside the city to foreign gods where they burned their children. He's destroying them and tearing them down. Did they ever need to take a step forward spiritually? See, Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, had been a great king. He'd followed after the Lord, and God had blessed him and blessed his people through him. But, but Hezekiah had been dead for 40 years when Josiah was born. That was his great-grandfather. His grandfather, Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, was terrible. He was a terrible king. If we went back and read chapter 21, we'd see just how bad. But you can see the summary of it in verse 9 of Second Kings 21. He says, they didn't listen, the people of Israel. Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. Back when they had come out of Egypt and come into the promised land, God says, I'm giving you the land, Israel. The people are wicked. And what they say here about Manasseh, some five, six, seven hundred years later, is they say, this is how bad he was. He was worse than the people that Israel drove out in the exodus. That's how bad he was. Fifty-five years, they labor. The people labor and wallow under this evil leadership. And as a result, foreign nations are oppressing them, Assyria has Israel under their thumb. Finally, he dies, and Josiah's father, Amon, becomes king. He's terrible, too. He lasts two years, and he's assassinated in a political coup. And they put Josiah, eight years old, On the throne. And it says right at the beginning of chapter 22, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Fifty some years they've labored under the weight of sinful, evil leadership that's led the people astray. And then Josiah comes along and he does what's right in the eyes of the Lord. I doubt that very many people in Israel, in Josiah's day, realized at first what an amazing and unlikely thing, what a blessing that is. Do you remember in in Lewis's uh, The Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, how how, uh, the white witch, Jadis, has all of Narnia under her evil control, and for a hundred years, it's always winter, but never Christmas. It's always winter. It's dark. It's gloomy. There's little joy, little warmth. It's never spring. And then then all of a sudden, the sons of Adam and daughters and Eve, the Pevensey children, come, and and they learn that Aslan, the true king, the good king, is on the move. and, And what begins to happen? Spring comes. Sun. Life. Things are beginning to change. We see something like that here. A new king comes, and he is going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. People couldn't see it right away, of course. And I'm sure there were many people who were invested in the evil status quo, and they probably didn't like it very much as it happened. But when we read that Josiah became king, and and he was going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord, we begin to feel like, hey, maybe these people have a chance. Maybe now there's a chance for the oppression of evil to be lifted. Something good could happen here if the leader is going to follow the Lord. You know what? The same thing is true in my life and in yours. With those spheres and domains where you have influence or leadership, the same thing, if if you turn to the Lord, the people in your life have a chance to follow you into God's blessing, joy, and peace. If we turn afresh to the Lord, what could that mean for our families, our marriages, our relationships, our church, if we would turn afresh to the Lord. See, see, that's the opportunity that presents itself to Israel here as young Josiah becomes king. In the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles 34, we learn that eight years into his reign, so he's 16, he begins to seek the Lord. Four years later, when he's 20, he begins taking his first tentative steps to do what's right and put away the idolatry. And then here, six years later, we see in his 18th year, he's he's 26 years old. This is when things really start to happen. How does it begin? What's the big change? What's the catalyst that begins to turn things around, that lead him to take and lead God's people to take a big step forward spiritually? Well, the answer is, by God's grace, he turns back to the book. He turns back to the book. I say grace because he wasn't looking for it. He didn't know it was missing or gone. He sends one of his most trusted officials, a man named Shaphan, to the temple to, to make some arrangements there. There's guys working on it and there's some payment money issues to be sorted out with them. And So he sends Shaphan to the temple, says go see Hilkiah the high priest and, and tell him these are the instructions as far as paying these workmen. And so Shaphan goes, and he makes, the, he makes the arrangements with Hilkiah, the high priest. And Hilkiah says, you know, we found a book. While we were working on the temple, we found a book. Now, this wouldn't have been a book like this, a book bound in pages on the side. Technically, we'd call this a codex. Uh, this, it wouldn't be that. Those weren't invented for centuries afterwards. It would have been a, a scroll A really long paper. It wouldn't even be paper. It would probably be vellum, some kind of animal skin that rolls up like this. Uh, Today, of course, we can bind up and publish the whole Bible in one little handheld thing. Not a scroll. scroll would would be impossibly large to put the whole thing in one. Plus, if you had a whole scroll of the whole Bible and you needed to turn to Isaiah, it would probably take you 30 minutes to find it, right? So much smaller portions put together in these scrolls. And so... The book that they find is not the whole Bible. It's probably not even the whole law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The, the five books of the law that are so central to Jewish belief and practice. Probably not even all those. Those are all too big to mound together. Probably most scholars think that most likely what they found was the scroll of Deuteronomy the last of the five books. Mostly because the concerns that Josiah starts to display afterwards reflect really well what Deuteronomy is concerned with and what apparently Israel had been missing. Idol worship is an evil abomination in Deuteronomy. The, the, uh, the true, proper worship of God at the sanctuary, where his temple and altar is, is a big concern of Deuteronomy. And we saw in chapter 23 how that had been desecrated. And most significantly, the biggest thing is the curses and blessings that come with either disobeying or obeying God's word. Probably that's what uh, um, Josiah has in mind when they read to him this book. And immediately he says, go inquire of the Lord. Go to a prophet and find out, is this going to happen to us? Because he recognizes right away, we have not been following the book. This book's been lost. We have not been doing what God says. Here's the thing I want to see here. The thing that brings Josiah's heart to repentance, the thing that brings him to seek the Lord, is going back to the book. It's not that they didn't have any of God's words. They had, presumably, the other books of the law, Probably more writings of the prophets beside. But some of God's words had been lost. Some of God's words were not being heard. And the words they did have, they weren't obeying wholeheartedly. The answer, the need, was to go back to the book, to see what they'd been missing, to see what they'd been ignoring, to see what they had not been following with their whole heart. That's what you and I need to do, too. We have God's Word. You probably have a copy on your lap right now or in your phone, but we have God's Word. But are we listening to it? All of it. Even the parts we don't like. Even the parts that challenge you or convict us. Even the parts that are hard to swallow in this day and age because people outside the church often don't like it. Are we listening to God's Word? We need to go back to the book? Are we giving ourselves time to read it, to think about it, to study it, to memorize, to hear it preached? Do we obey it and do what it says? Every big step forward spiritually starts by turning back to the book. Every big step forward spiritually starts with a step back to the book. What's your spiritual need? Do you see yourself needing to know God more intimately, to engage with him personally? You need to go back to the book. We'll look at that next week. Need a better grasp of spiritual truth? To to know what you believe and why you believe it? You need to go back to the book. We'll look at that in week three. Need the ability to recognize false teaching, to discern error? such a problem. It's everywhere. You need to go back to the book. Lord willing, we'll look at that in week four. Do you need insight into the idols and sins in your own heart? Something that will expose the the hidden motivations and sins of the heart that are so hard for us to detect and change. Do you need insight into your own heart? You do. We do. you got to go back to the book. We'll look at that in week five. Need help to live in obedience to God's word? To not just know what it says, but do what it says. To stop doing what you know you shouldn't do. The answer? Let go back to the book. We'll look at that in week six. Do you need power to take to see God's work word take root in your life, to flourish in your life, and in those of your family and the people you love? To build a family, a ministry, a, a legacy of faithfulness to God that's bigger than just you. Do you need help with that? You've got to go back to the book. Lord willing, we'll look at that in week seven. Every big step forward spiritually starts with a step back to the book. So, how do we do that? What do we need to do to go back to the book? Well, 2 Kings 22 here helps point us in the way we need to go. Here's the first thing you need. A concern. A concern. In chapter 22, verse 11, they bring the book of the law. Shaphan says to King Josiah, we found a book, and he reads it to him. And it says in verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. The tearing of clothes was an expression of deep anguish and remorse. He, he tears his His clothes. That's that's not an automatic response. Right? Often God's word is heard without that kind of response. We have a young child in our home right now who we're working with to do a little better job telling the truth. Maybe you've had that same opportunity. Well, suppose I get home from work one night and Kelly says, I caught your child telling a lie today. That's how she'd say it. I caught your child telling a lie today, and the kids are gathered, and Kelly's there, and I drop to my knees, and I rip my shirt, and I tear my clothes off, and I ah, I go to the fireplace and get ashes. We don't have ashes in our fireplace, but I go to the fireplace and put ashes on my head, and ah, oh, I wail and mourn, and somebody go inquire. You know, people say, "Well, that's that'd be strange," but it anyway, would. It would make some kind of point. An overreaction? Sure. But, but how often do we hear God's word and have no real reaction? Sure, it could be, I suppose, an overreaction, but how often do we have, do we have no reaction to the word at all? No emotion. No conviction. No resolve. Most importantly, no change. Our going back to the book starts with a concern. We see with Josiah, first of all, there's a concern for what's been lost, for, for the failures, the sorry track record that God's people have, the missed opportunities to see God's blessing, the way they've dishonored God. There's a concern for what's been lost, but there's also a concern for what it will cost. He sees in Deuteronomy, if, if we aren't faithful to God and his word, Look at the curses. Look at the judgment that's coming. Look at what it's going to cost us because we've strayed away from the book. We start going back to the book with concern. But that concern needs to take another step. It needs to be followed by commitment. At the beginning of chapter 23, we read it earlier in our service, Josiah And the people gathered together in Jerusalem... And uh, in verse 3, it says, after they read the book, he reads the book to the people. They gather there. It says, all the people, small and great, everyone's gathered there. Hey, we're all going back to the book together. And he reads the words of the book. And in verse 3 of chapter 23, says, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And check this, all Other people joined in the covenant. They read the book, they hear what it says, and he says, We're doing this. We're doing this. We're not just concerned, we're committed together. We make this commitment together, this covenant. Concern is necessary, it's not enough. We need a commitment to take action. And we have to take action, because every big step forward spiritually starts with a step back to the book. It's so critical. It's one of the easiest places to deceive ourselves. Look at James chapter 1. Keep a marker here, we'll be back here in a second. Look at James chapter 1. James 1, verse 22. James 1, 22 says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets, what he was like. Imagine a girl, a teenage girl. She gets up in the morning. She's getting ready for school. She's got a lot of work to do. She goes in the bathroom. She looks in the mirror. My hair looks nuts. Serious bedhead. That looks ridiculous. She looks at her face. She didn't get enough sleep. Dark blotches under her eyes. You know, she's like, I gotta. She's close to the mirror. Teeth, boy, teeth need to be brushed. Breath is terrible. You know, no makeup on, all these things. And she looks at the mirror and says, Wow, this needs a lot of attention. And then she turns and she walks out and grabs her backpack and heads out to the bus. And you say, Well, why did you even go look at the mirror at all, because the mirror has a job. You look in the mirror, it tells you what you need to know so you can do what you need to do. And it would be very foolish to waste any time looking in the mirror if you're not going to take care of what needs to be taken care of. That's why it's there. And James says, when you read the book or hear the book and don't do what it says... It's like you put the mirror of the book in front of your face and it, it shows you who you really are. But that needs attention. That needs to be changed. Not obeying that. Not pure and holy in that. The, all these things it shows us. And the list is endless. You spend your whole life and you won't exhaust the list. But the person who hears the word and doesn't do it is, they look at the mirror and they go, and then they go off. And they don't deal with it and they're just like that teenage girl Who gets the information she needs and doesn't make the changes she needs to make and is going to face the consequences when she gets to where she's going. But we do that all the time. We hear the word, it shows us what we need to see, and we don't do anything with it. Maybe we're concerned, but no commitment, no resolve to change, no resolve to do what it says. We need Josiah's attitude. In Israel's attitude, we're entering into covenant together. We're doing this. We've heard the word. We're doing this. We are committed. Even when it's hard, even when it's costly, even when others don't understand, even if the world around us says, ah, that's going too far. We say, no, we are doing this because every big step forward spiritually starts with a step back to the book. Here's the third thing we need. A rhythm. A rhythm. Back in 2 Kings 23, once he begins to take action, one of the things he picks up at the beginning of chapter 23, they make the commitment together, and then later in verse 21, the king commands the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God. See, God had given them a festival. It goes way back to the founding of the nation in the time of Moses, called the Passover. It was a, a celebration of God's deliverance and salvation, bringing the people out of Egypt. And God says to them, do it in this month, on this day, do it every year, do it just like this, because you need to remember. You need that rhythm, that predictable, regular rhythm, when we go back and we remember what God has done. I think in a similar way, we need to implement a rhythm in our own lives that brings us back to the book. We need rituals, we need routines, we need rhythms that help us remember and focus on what God is saying to us in his word. If we're going to go relentlessly back to the book, we're going to need a rhythm. You can't go back haphazardly. You can't go back when there's nothing else to do and it seems convenient. It never seems convenient and there's always more to do. And if you don't have a rhythm for going to God's Word, whether it's to read it or meditate on it or study it or memorize it or talk about it with others or hear it preached or or whatever way we might come back to God's Word, if you don't have a rhythm, a routine, you will find yourself always negotiating with yourself, should I do this right now? Maybe I'll do it later because something else will always seem more pressing. Something else will always seem more important. And what we need is a rhythm that says, in my life, at this time, on this day, in this place, in this way, I go back to God's word so that I don't negotiate it. I don't, I'll give you an example. I never wake up on Sunday morning and say, should I go to church today? I never do that. It's non-negotiable. I, I, I don't think about it. Right? If some opportunity says, someone comes and says to me, Do you want to go do something on Sunday morning? I don't go, Oh man, how could I get out of church? Tr- I, don't, I don't do that. And, and to be honest, I, I didn't do that growing up because in our home, it was non negotiable. It's just a regular routine. It doesn't feel like a loss. I've never once said, Well, it stinks all my Sunday mornings are tied up. I've never once said that. I don't even think about it because it's just that's our rhythm. That's what we do. God's word is the same. You need a rhythm. A routine, a ritual, a plan that says, hey, this is when I do it. This is when I read God's word. This is when I meditate on This is when I study it. This is when I go to hear it preach. And it's just so much a ritual, so much a routine that you don't have to negotiate with yourself. You're a great negotiator with yourself. You will talk yourself out of it most of the time. Because you can always find something that feels more pressing. We need a rhythm. Because if we want to take a big step forward spiritually, we need to take a step back to the book. The fourth thing we need is a reminder. A reminder. Turn back, one last turn here, back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy, of course, is probably the book that had been lost and found in Josiah's day. It may well be that this very passage is one that he read or had read to him there by Shaphan in his court. Deuteronomy 6.4 is a well-known verse here. It is with the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Okay, these are two of the most famous verses in all the Hebrew Bible. But, but look what comes next. In these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So, internalized. Not just in my pocket, but on my heart, but more. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So you have them internally, but you're sharing them. But there's more verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I've internalized it. I'm speaking about it. I'm putting physical reminders of the book. So, So, put it on the, the posts of the doorway of your house, they'd have these little containers, they're called mezuzahs, and they'd have a little tiny scroll, real small, written, often this passage right here, written on it, or other important passages, they'd roll it real tight, and it would sit right on the doorpost of their house. When I worked at the Jewish temple, when I was in seminary down in Louisville, Kentucky, in the offices, several of the offices had, They, they wasn't really a scroll, and it was just kind of a fake thing, but just, they would have a little mezuzah, kind of screwed or magnet on the steel door frames of the offices, it was just a, a traditional thing, it's there, I don't know if they noticed it, I have a feeling they walk past it without thinking about it most of the time, but the idea is it's there, it's a reminder, it's something I see that points me back again and again. But but even more than that, frontlets between your eyes, bind them on your hand or your arm, they would take, they call them tefillin, and they would take like a little leather pouch and they would put scriptures in it and they would tie it around their arm or sometimes around their head. Jesus talks about these in the Gospels, but he calls them, uh, in the Greek, phylacteries. You remember? And he says, you made them big. There were some people that were taking, the, they're putting a study Bible on their arm, right? And they were wrapping it around like this and they've got the ESV study Bible on this side and the NIV study Bible on this side. And it was something. That, but the point is, we don't want to forget. God's word, it's right here with me. It's right here. It's at the doorpost to my house. I've got reminders all around. I don't, don't want to forget the book. I don't want to forget the book i take a step forward spiritually. You've got to keep going back relentlessly to the book. I need reminders to help me see it. What, what could you use as a reminder? If you go online, you can buy a mezuzah and put it on your doorpost. I don't know if that's the best way, but you could do it. It's biblical. But maybe there's other ways. Maybe there's other things you could do, other things that you could set out. A Bible, a large Bible that you prominently display in your house, for instance. What if, what if every time you reach into your front pocket for your phone—I don't know if you do that much—most people don't—instead of pulling out your phone, you pull out a New Testament. I know you probably need your phone with you, but boy, if, if every time you reach in your pocket, a New Testament came out instead of your phone, a you'd spend less time on your phone, and that'd probably be good. And b it's oh, it's, there's a reminder right here. I've got it with me. I, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where it is or how. But boy, but if you had a reminder, oh, that'd be a help. That'd be a help to keep God's word. Because, listen, every big step forward spiritually starts by turning back to the book. Here's where many of us will get hung up on this. We'll say, I'm concerned, but I'm not quite concerned enough. Not quite concerned enough to actually make a commitment and a change to my schedule and routine. I wish I was more concerned. Maybe tomorrow I'll be more concerned. I'll try again next week. Well, don't start there. Don't start with your concern. Listen, if you're concerned right now, and I hope you are, by the time you get home and finish lunch, you're going to be a little less concerned. And by the time you fight with your kids to get them in bed tonight, if that's your routine, um, you'll be a little less concerned. And by the time you get to work on Tuesday afternoon, you won't be thinking about it much or feeling very concerned. So don't don't start with your concern. Don't start with the concern and the commitment. Start with the rhythm and the reminder. Start there. You remember in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And the idea is, well, look at, look at where you spend your money, and you'll know where your heart is. But it works the other way, too. If you start putting your money toward things that are important, your heart starts to follow. It's not just that your, your spending reflects your values. It's that if you determine, even if you don't feel like it, even if you're not concerned, if you start investing and spending on things that are important, you'll start to care more about those things. Same with God's Word. Put the reminder. Start with a reminder. Plan a rhythm. Say, I'm not that concerned. Don't start with a concern. Start with a reminder and the rhythm. And as you give yourself to that, you'll find your concern and commitment starting to follow. Start with the reminder. Establish the rhythm. And your heart will eventually follow. So let me ask you this morning as we finish. What reminder can you put in place? For you personally, maybe for your family as a whole, what reminder can you put in place? What rhythm could you establish? Because your next big step forward spiritually starts by turning back to the book. Let's pray. I encourage you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And before I pray, I want to give you just a moment to think about what reminder and what rhythm you might put in place to turn your heart back to the book. It doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be overly complicated. Don't shoot for the moon on the first shot. Make it simple, straightforward, doable. What rhythm and routine can you put in place as you start to pray that God would give you the concern and commitments you need. Let me give you a moment to, to think and pray about that. Father, I pray for Springview Community Church, for every person here, we need to take steps forward spiritually. That's your plan for us to press on, to grow more like Christ, to mature in our faith and obedience. And the steps we need to take start by turning back to your book. So Father, I'm asking for much grace I know very well in my own life and heart how much the enemy wants to keep me from the book. And I know that's true for every other person here. The worst thing we could do in the enemy's mind would be to hear, embrace, believe, and obey your word. And the best thing we can do, from your perspective is to hear, believe, embrace, and obey your word. And so, Father, we are in a spiritual battle. And I pray that we would fight it by spiritual means. Prayer, trusting in you and your word. I pray you'd give us the strength to take actionable steps. What reminder, what rhythm we might embrace. Strap on so that we might turn regularly, consistently, even when we don't feel like it, might turn again and again relentlessly, to your book. Lord, I pray you would use these next seven weeks in our families and in our church family here. I pray that we would leave these seven weeks more committed, more resolved, more eager to humbly turn back to your book and hear what it is you're saying to us, so that you might change it by your spirit, through your word, for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we will, Lord willing, over these next seven weeks be considering how how we turn back to the book, what that could mean for us, what that might look like, how by God's grace we might do that so that we can, together and as a church, take the next step spiritually. So I encourage you to plan on being part of that. Even if you're here this morning and you say, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm that concerned about taking the next step spiritually, or I'm not even that sure that the Bible is that valuable, that it's even worth that kind of attention, concern, or effort. If, if you're thinking that this morning, first of all, we're glad you're here. Uh, and I, I encourage you to come back next Sunday, because we'll think about those issues next Sunday. Why should we give the Bible so much attention? Why should we do that? Lord willing, we'll consider that next Sunday together. Let me send you out now with these words of benediction, 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.